Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Welcome on into Inside Sources. Today I am Lindsay Ertz, joined by our guest co-host today, Casey Scott. Hi, Casey. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you doing over there? So I, I'm, I'm getting ready, mentally preparing myself for your story because I've met you a couple of times. Uh, we, we share podcast booths. I do a podcast called Project Recovery. Mm-hmm. You do yours. And we were going to one time, we were going to meet up and have each other on our other podcast. Oh, yeah. We need to do that still. We still need to do yeah. that. But I, I, I'm trying to, you know, I want to know more about yours because when I got immersed into the recovery world, I'm learning so much more. And sure. so I'm, once you start to open up that line of communication, uh, I think educa- education is paramount. Absolutely. So I host The Mom Show, which airs Sundays at 10 a.m. here on KSL News Radio. And often on that show, I have talked about my uh, postpartum mood and anxiety disorder that I started suffering with after Lucy, who's now almost five years old. Uh, My oldest daughter was born nearly five years ago. And the crux of my symptoms started with these scary, intrusive thoughts that started happening to me. They're just kind of thoughts that are that just sort of bombard you out of nowhere. They usually start with a what if. Mm-hmm. What if I just do this? Yeah. And I'm a 100% open book to sharing what those thoughts are. But oftentimes I refrain in public settings like this because they the thoughts can be very triggering for those who are in the midst of a postpartum mood disorder right now. Okay. And also... I mean, frankly, I just don't want people to think I was crazy. I was not crazy. (laughs) I had an illness that was kind of causing me these intrusive thoughts. And I now know that 91% of mothers have intrusive thoughts. Really? 91%. That's almost all of them. That's staggering. Yeah. So that's a a lot of people who are having these thoughts. Now, the degree to which people have these thoughts and the, the distress that it causes is really what needs to be looked at. And for me, they were so out of character for me. They were so not the person I thought I was, right? I was having thoughts of harm of hurting my baby, and I knew that was not who I was. I knew I could never do that, right? But the thoughts were so piercing and paralyzing that I was like, am I capable of these? Like, what is happening to me? And I can remember, um, you know, coming home one day, I think I actually had a live radio broadcast, and I you know, as many of us do, we work through this pain, right? Well, I think you, I think that's what we're taught at a young age yeah. is you don't really talk about your feelings. You do new, you do what needs to be done, and yeah. then you get home, and then you try to put it all together. And sure. sometimes you just don't know how to put it together. So you're having these intrusive thoughts. You don't know where they're coming from. And at this point, are you talking to anybody? Well, I didn't know what they were, so I was trying to, like, dip my pinky toe in the water of, like, feeling out if I was okay. Yeah. Right? So I like, would... Because, like, you go, is this normal? Yeah. Is anybody else having w- this, or is this just me? Yeah, I would Google things like this, and I would see Dr. some Google scary- sometimes yeah. not the best. I know, I would see some not scary things, and it made it worse. And so I, I can remember uh, you know, coming home from that radio remote and, and asking my husband, I was like, you need to get me to the hospital because I'm not okay. Like, I need a pill to take this away. And pills help, but they can't take away your, your postpartum mood disorder. So I was really panicking. And I can also remember Googling, does having scary thoughts mean I'll act on them? 
because that was my biggest fear is that I was capable of these thoughts that I was having. And I now know that thoughts are just thoughts and they don't cause action unless you believe them and choose to act on them. You're always in control of your thoughts. I mean, but thoughts can be say, powerful. No, no, no. When I say in control, I just mean you can't control the thoughts that pop into your head, but you can choose whether or not you believe them. Yes. And that is the, the big lesson that I've learned since having this postpartum mood disorder. But no one teaches you that growing no, up. No, It's in none of the, you know, I'm sure it's in books somewhere, but, you know, but yeah. it's not one that everybody sits down and gets a lesson on. No, you don't get that edu- that mental health education in school these days. You don't, you don't get... And, and even us as parents now, I, I know this this experience has impacted me to where I am so adamant about teaching my daughter how to feel her emotions. You know, I, I think a lot of these these problems that we're seeing can be traced down to feeling emotion. And yes. it can be really hard. And I really want to avoid feeling emotion a lot of times in my life. But it's so necessary for healing. So you tell your husband, it's, I, I need to go to the hospital. And what does he say? So... He never, he was my biggest support system through all of this. And I don't even think he realized he was doing anything right per se, but he, he, he knew I didn't need to go to the hospital, but he knew I needed help. So he encouraged me to call my OB. I did. I told them, I, I think something's going on with me. I don't know what this is, but I'm really scared and I need some help. So they get me a prescription for Zoloft and send me on my way. No follow up, no nothing, right? I've talked at length about the the problems I see with the healthcare system and how we, especially for postpartum women, how we, um, how we, one we just prescribe them and send them on their way, and then also you know just the care that a lot of women get after having a baby, which is a major life event. <laughs> and oh, women are so vulnerable. I've after, witnessed three. Right, They're, you're so vulnerable after having a baby, and I don't think we give that time period enough credit. Uh, so that medication didn't work. It made me more sick. Medication in general can be a guessing game of trying to like find the right one that works. It the right recipe. Yeah, the right recipe. And it takes time. And, you know, also the person who can prescribe you medication, who is your OB, you know, if you just see a therapist, unless you see a psychologist, they can prescribe you medication. But a therapist can't prescribe you medication. And so I'd have my therapist and my OB talk to each other to make sure you know, I was getting the right sort of thing. And that They're can be on the just, same page. Yeah, that can be such a complicated process. And one of the barriers to why many women don't seek help is because it's just too hard. It's well, too not work. only that, you, you've got that going on, but you've also got a newborn at home. Oh, my home. gosh, yeah. You've got life still moving forward. Right. You've got to figure out you've got three months before you have to get back to work. Right. I mean, you've got so many balls in the air. I mean, it's just, it, it it's maddening on itself. Yeah. So eventually I found the right medication. And then I got in to see a therapist pretty quickly, which I was really lucky to be able to do that. But I don't think I should consider myself lucky that I got in to see a therapist so quickly. I think that that should be standard protocol for after you have a baby or even just for people in general. Therapists are amazing. Well, if you said 91% suffered some form of it, it it, it seemed like it would be a requirement. Yeah. So, um, so I got the right combination of medica- uh, medication. I was able to get in and see my therapist. And she was just able to confirm to me that I was indeed suffering with postpartum anxiety and OCD. And that probably was a relief for you because you could finally put your finger on something. Yeah. Why are these thoughts are coming into my head? Why am I feeling this way? Because before, you know, Google and guessing and all that stuff, that doesn't lead you down a good road. It was so hard. And I know for so many women, just having that language for what you're experiencing brings such relief. Now, that brought initial relief, but then the healing had to start after that, right? So it's not just a, oh, I know what this is. I can deal with it. It was still a struggle to 
uh, work through those thoughts, to not believe every one of them, to not feel anxiety and panic when I was having them. To, to find the tools. Yeah, to find the tools to heal from them. So calling my OB, getting a therapist right away, getting the right medication, and then I keyed in my support group, right? I keyed in my people. Like, I called my mom, who lived in Maine at the time, and I said, you not need to come out here. And she stayed for, like, two months, and she took care of my baby, and she helped me and my husband while I was trying to recover, and it was amazing. And I, I got my husband on board, you know? I said, this is, this is what... It's a community. Yeah. Yeah, you need a village, not only to raise children, but also to help you. Yes. And they're there, and they're willing to help you. Um, I had a code word for my intrusive thoughts. So when I started being bombarded by these thoughts and I couldn't get out of the spiral and I was just like, am I going to do this? Am I panicking? I would text my mom or my husband elephant Mm -hmm. and they would text me back and say, are you okay?" They would initiate to me because sometimes when you're having those scary intrusive thoughts, you can't always you don't always want to like seek someone out to verbalize them. Right. Because they're really terrifying. And and you you don't know the judgment you're going to receive if you share those thoughts out loud. Well, I think, you know, the hardest part in, in the recovery world that I live in and what you're talking about, one of the hardest parts, and it's the most crucial part because it's the first part, is asking for help. Yeah. And, 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 you, and you don't know. You don't want to bother people. You don't want them to look at you different. So you kind of just sit there in your own world and go, I can figure this out. Right. I can do this. And then when, when it gets to, I can't figure this out. I need help. Elephant. Elephant. Yes, elephant. exactly. And I didn't want... You know, I think this is one of the barriers for people getting help, too, is I didn't want to be seen as, you know, I didn't want every time somebody I talked to somebody in the grocery store them to be like, how's your postpartum? You know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to be labeled like that. But you didn't want that to become your identity. Yes, I didn't want that to be my identity. I didn't want people to think I was always having a hard time. And so it it did keep me from reaching out at times. And I think that's a big stigma with both mental health issues in general, but also postpartum issues specifically. You know, we as women, we're just socialized to be able to handle everything, right? We're just strong. You can't? No. Can you? No. No. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I have two young children under the age of five, and I am... I feel like I'm drowning constantly. If I want to organize anything in my house, my eight-year-old does it. Right? Anything to do with computers, yeah, no. It's it's so hard. So anyways, I... I, It took me time to find the medication, to get on the medication, to get to therapy, but I would say about... A month and a half, those real scary, intrusive thoughts lasted. And then by about six months, I probably started, um, you know, really starting to heal a little bit more. And the other thing about my situation was that my symptoms started at three months postpartum. So this wasn't like I came home from the hospital and I started not feeling well. This was three months in, you know, I was, yeah, I was having a hard time with a new baby. I just thought I was a new mom, adjusting to life as a mom and trying to like handle having a kid now. But it was so much harder than I thought, compounded by this illness. Another thing I find interesting is that you have two kids. And you said you only had postpartum depression and anxiety with one and not the other. I, I, I didn't know. I, that's news to me. I yeah. thought that would be universal. If you had one, you had it at all. Well, I, I am really lucky that I didn't suffer the second time around. But it was a big consideration going into having a second child was, sure. if I have this again, can I handle it? That's I why ready? I waited four years to have another one. Because I knew that I needed to be in the right place where I had the mental fortitude to handle this if it did happen again. You were prepared. You had some tools. You kind of knew that this was a possibility. And then you could probably make a better educated decision at that point. Absolutely. So we have to go to break right now. But coming back on the other side of the break, we're going to bring in a a postpartum depression specialist from the state health department. And they are working on the the maternal suicide numbers and paying attention to uh, how many of those happen in Utah and how we can 
help those who may be suffering uh, from a postpartum mood disorder. So we will uh, bring back Brooke Dorf on the other side of this break. Uh, this is Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.